0: We have the distinct privilege this morning of hearing from a guest speaker, and um, he has been uh, a part of our leadership in the state of New Jersey for the Assemblies of God, which is a fellowship of churches that we are a part of, Um, and we have a leader That is kind of a pastor of pastors, a leader of the leaders within the state of New Jersey to help um, facilitate, to help be a resource, to to intervene when there are challenges and difficulties. There's so many things that the District Resource Center does, and uh, they're under the leadership of a superintendent. And Brother Carl Coletti, for the last 20 years, has served New Jersey very well in that role as uh, as our superintendent, as our pastor of pastor, leader of leaders. And he's coming to the end of his term, not even the end of his term, but he's realized, because if they wouldn't, I think they just keep re-electing him uh, to more and more because of his effectiveness and his leadership. But he sensed the call of God that this is the end of that season and God's moving him into something new. And for the last 20 years, he served so well. I have two things that really stand out in my heart as I've gotten to know him and seen his leadership uh, even from afar. One is at Teen Challenge, New Jersey, where many of us are familiar, very close to our heart. Some years back, Teen Challenge New Jersey was within two weeks of shutting down completely. They were were in such difficult position. They were in the middle of Newark. Uh, Many of the men were finding guns and narcotics and things in the alleyways right outside of the building. They were just in in, in very difficult position. Brother Coletti, under his leadership, he intervened. um, And he reached out, prompted by the Lord to reach out to New England's Teen Challenge and forged a partnership that has now allowed it to be healthy, sustained. They then received for $1.88 acres of land. We have come alongside. It is now one of the premier teen challenges in the entire country. Isn't that amazing? And they're just getting started. They're just getting started. But it's, you know, you often look there and you thank God whenever you see all the blessing and the provision. But you, we got to learn to thank God for the leaders that get in at the most difficult hour, and they're able to help turn it around. Amen. That's a gift, that's a great gift of leadership. The same thing happened at my alma mater, Valley Forge Christian College, which is now the University of Valley Forge. A few years back, them, along with the several other colleges and Christian universities, went into some serious financial challenges. And as they were doing that, it, it, for some colleges, I think they closed down around the country. Um, Valley Forge looked like they could have been going in that same direction. Along with him being superintendent of New Jersey, he's also the chairman of the board of Valley Forge, uh, Univers- the University of Valley Forge. He intervened, and he helped to lead them through a painful and difficult process. But I want to tell you now, revival is breaking out on the campus of Valley Forge. They're moving forward. Uh, We're excited to see how God is moving. Um, So what you get to hear from today is a leader who has led well, who has been a pastor, who has been in leadership, who has really walked a journey. God's not done with him yet, but, um, but he's such a blessing. And I wanted to invite him to come up, and I wanted his wife, Marianne, if you could join as well, um, just to come to the platform, because I want, church, I want you to honor um, our leader in our, in our uh, state, and I just want to just uh, thank God for him together, and thank God for your ministry. We're so thankful for both of you, and uh, we appreciate you. Thank you for standing next to him. Amen. Amen. Would you just extend a hand towards him? I want us just to just pray over them in this season right now, Mandy, if you'll join me. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for godly leadership. We're so thankful for great leaders that you anoint and appoint, Lord God, and use uh, to be a blessing, Lord God. They have been a blessing to us, Lord God. They've been a blessing to many, Lord God. And I know that his legacy will far outlive him in the countless lives that will be transformed, Lord God. There will be people that will walk in freedom that may not have been able to experience that. There will be a generation of ministers that will be raised up, Lord God, sent to the ends of the earth. It would not have been, maybe, Lord God, if it weren't for godly leadership and intervention. Lord, I know he's had to make the challenging calls, and I thank you that you have gifted him, Lord God, to do that and to stand well, to lead well. And I just pray in this season for him and Ann, they would experience, Lord God, all of the blessings of God over their life, over their marriage, over this next season of their ministry. In Jesus' name, anoint him and her, Lord God, and give them great years of fruitfulness moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you show your appreciation of them? And... Amen. Amen. God bless you.
1: Thank you so much. It's so kind of you. And uh, thank you for your prayers and your support. This will be my last time to uh, minister in this church as district superintendent. And I've had the privilege over the years to address you on a few different occasions. And it's always has been an honor. And I appreciate the partnership And uh, about 2000, year 2000, we launched a program in New Jersey, an emphasis to plant churches. And uh, we just asked our churches to step up and give money, not to get awards, not recognition. It wasn't something where you could invest and get interest for your investment, just outright give because it was all about souls. And the effort was to raise $3.7 million to plant a number of churches throughout New Jersey and uh, we were very successful in that but this church was i do do believe was the largest contributor to if not now when and uh, through its immediate gift and its long-term gift it was uh, about a quarter of a million dollars Uh, i'll never forget it and always be grateful to those of you and to the leadership of the church who were so kind and today we look back and we say we've planted in my term of office over a hundred churches in New Jersey and have revitalized churches that would have died about 75 of them and for that, we thank the Lord. So I'm not, I'm not done with ministry yet. I've got a few more uh, miles and smiles I say in me and uh, we're going to go on to some other things that we feel are uh, the call of God. And we're just releasing this to a younger generation. Would you believe it? There are actually younger people. I remember when I was the youngest credential holder in the state of New Jersey, and, uh, and Fred Huber, anybody remember that name? Yeah, yeah. Brother Fred Huber was my mentor uh, when I was a, a very young man, and I actually performed Kathy's funeral. I was in Africa when Fred passed, but I did perform Kathy's funeral when she died. Uh, a lot of history, a lot of great things. Someone said, what are you going to do when you, uh, when you quit? Well, I'm not quitting, you know. I'm not quitting, I'm going on to something else, but what, what am I going to do? Well, Marianne and I have been married 50 years, and it'll be 51 in June. <laughs> All right, I, they always applaud for her. They always applaud, you know. But, uh, uh, and by the way, my marital advice, for those of you who'd like to know marital advice, would you like to know? Okay, the first 50 years are the hardest. <laughs> uh, oh, we'll let you know how 51 comes out, won't we? <laughs> so uh, for 50 years, I've dragged her across the co- state, across the country, around the world. For 50 years, she's followed me. For the next 50, I'm going to be driving Miss Daisy. That's the, that's, that's the plan. So she's got a big, long honeydew list. Nice to see our dear friend Nancy Tonnis in here with its. <laughs> We love Nancy. She worked in our district office for a number of years. I gave her permission today that if my sermon wasn't good enough, she could say anything she wants. Uh, And she said she would do that. (laughs) Among friends. We're among friends. I want to uh, just highlight, when you see somebody doing something good, you always want to catch them doing that. Sometimes we think we catch people doing something wrong. Gotcha but we don't enough catch people doing something well, and you've done something well. Thank you to the worship team. You just did so well today. Now, it, was, it, was, it wasn't your style of music, it wasn't you know uh, the, the melody and the harmony and, and, and the technical stuff and the instrumentalists. It wasn't just that, it's, it's what I saw that I enjoy Uh, is a worship team worshiping God. And I want to say thank you for that. Not just entertaining, not worshiping for you, but pulling you into worship before God. And I'm I'm greatly appreciative of that. I, I do believe, Pastor Chris, it's the gold standard. If we can just encourage all our people to be true worshipers in spirit and in truth. Well, I'm going to redeem the time uh, today, and uh, there's some other things that I would share, but I'll, I'll leave them for another uh, date. Your theme has been uh, hunger and thirst, and uh, what a wonderful theme! And I just was sensitive to that as I've been preparing for several weeks to be with you uh, today, and. I'd like to title my message, The Realities that Christians Easily Forget. We can talk about hunger and thirst after God and longing for his supply in our life uh, to fo- so that we could fulfill his purpose, but, there's, but we have to stop from time to time. In, because we live in a world where there's a natural atrophy spiritually, it's just we kind of wind down. You, you know you don't have to do anything to backslide? Do nothing at all. You just do nothing, and you'll backslide. It just just happen. There's no energy that goes into backsliding at all. And so, you, you, you knowing that, we have to work very, very hard to keep our spiritual life sharp, and to identify what it is we are hungering and thirsting after, and what that means. How does that translate into our everyday life? And uh, so I'd like to begin with this thought from Jeremiah 29 in verse 11, sort of launch with that verse, and you know it very well, I'm sure. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And plans to give you hope and a future. You know, folks, in the course of our life, life's uh, about... Us continually being in the process of evaluating what is God's plan for our life. And I'm going to confess something to you. Today, I don't know the plan for my life going forward because it unfolds all the time. I can look back and I can see adversity, see challenges and problems that we've been through uh, in our years of ministry uh, 20 years as superintendent, but 31 in pastoral ministry. And uh, all wonderful. And uh, I can look back and say, wow, I didn't know if we were going to survive that, but, but then I saw God's hand working and I see how it fit uniquely into that chapter of our life. And so good things that happened, and we say, wow, I can see that was in the plan of God. And then tough things that happened that gave us an audience to speak to, an audience of people who perhaps watched us going through difficult times and stood with us and prayed with us and were part of the miracle. Uh, they got to witness it and see it, and it encouraged their faith. It was God's plan as we moved through those things. And But, but I can't say today I know the plan because... I've never been 72 before. See, I've got some aches and pains today that I didn't have. You know, when I was 60 or 50, I don't, can't even remember when I was 40. <laughs> Neither can some of you. Don't just look at me, that glazed-over look. See, The plan of God unfolds. And, and, and today, he, I have a challenge of discovering the plan of God going forward. What is the divine purpose for my life? And, and for each of us, whether you're a, a not yet a believer, not yet a Christian, you're just investigating, whether you're a brand new Christian, whether you've been a Christian for a long time, or you're an ancient Christian. Some of us are, you know, we're kind of dinosaurs we've been around. We cut our teeth on pews when we were children. That's how our <laughs> parents brought us to church all the time, and, and, and the, the, the pew in front of us was our teething ring. You know, a few of you here would know what I'm talking about, but no matter what stage or what age we are in our walk with with Christ, there's a divine purpose from the very beginning. The little girl that we heard the testimony this morning, uh, the miracles that are taking place in her life are because God has a divine purpose for that child's life. Now she will have to unpack it and and discover it and it will be put to the test and there will be challenges. But if she's diligent and if she's nurtured and the faith she has now will be uh, continually fed and grow, she will discover her divine purpose one day in her life at a time. To hunger and thirst, we can get in this world distracted, hungering and thirsting after so many different things. But let us perhaps review in in our short time together this morning that that hunger and what hunger and thirst means for the plan of God. Are you hungry for God's purpose to be fulfilled in your life? Not just happy to know God, happy to know you're going to heaven, pleased to know that your sins are forgiven and that you'll have a Christian burial. That's not enough. Is to say, I have a divine purpose and I want to I wanna hunger after that purpose and thirst after that purpose and find my fulfillment in life will be that when I come to the end, I say, I, I have attained the purpose of God, not just my own. Do you hear me? See? You know, and the little things matter when we hunger and thirst after God, the little things matter. Not just the big picture, I'm hungry. No, it's what are you feeding on? It's what's on the table, see? Do you come to the table? Do you share the table with other people? Uh, I'm I, always amazed at the story of the Statue of Liberty, uh, the creator of the Statue of Liberty back in the 1800s, late 1800s, and he was such a detailist uh, at French artist that he, uh, when, you, when you look at the Statue of Liberty, you see there's, he's, there's actually fingernails and would you believe it, toenails. And, and, and very interesting to me in all the details in every part of it, the glorious crown of light there represent the seas and the continents. It, he has meaning into everything. It's, it's July 4th, 1776 is ascribed on the book that he holds over. You can't see it from the ground. Those are details. Interesting enough, he even took time to sculpt the hair on the top of the head. Who would see that? You see, you know, it was, it was about 40 years later that the Wright brothers made their flight and, and airplanes became our world, what is common today, came into existence. Nobody would see, but the creator, to the creator, the detail made the difference if nobody else could see it. Do you know there are things in your life and in my life that the creator says it doesn't matter if everybody does it that way or everybody sees it that way or anybody sees it, I'm gonna do this and want this out of your life. So the details, friends, are very, very important. Now I wanna talk this morning, I'll tell you right up front, there are four things, four points, four realities concerning God's plan. Now, why would I tell you that up front? And so when I get to two or three and you're starting to nod off, uh, you'll say he's only got a couple more to go, okay? So I'll let you know. Here's the first reality I think it's important every day in our hunger and our thirst for righteousness. First of all, we're, we have a threat of war every single day of our life in our Christian venture. Every day we're at war. There's the mission, the Jesus mission that we're called to that is constantly threatened by the distractions of the world in the Jesus mission that we have to fight as if we are in hand-to-hand combat. More than 150 years ago, Sabine Baring Gold wrote the hymn that's very, very popular, very famous around the world. It's called Onward, Christian Soldiers. And that hymn writer, that poet, wrote these words. Listen, you know them well. Onward, Christian Soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. That's what it's all about. We're warriors. There's a cross going in front of us. We're following it to the battlefield. You know what soldiers do when they train for the battlefield? They train to win and they prepare to die. If they cannot win, they will die trying to win. Now, Jesus, Luke tells us in Luke 19:10, he came to seek and to save the lost. You see, it's not acceptable to Christ that any human being dies without hearing the gospel and giving a yes or a no to the gospel. He is not willing that any man would perish. Not here not throughout the state of New Jersey, across the country or around the world. It's not acceptable. He came to find them, to seek, and to save the lost. When we found Jesus, we became his servants. I'm a little disappointed in this day and age we live in uh, with the word Christian. Uh, I'm a Christian. But I'm a little disappointed with the word Christian because it's been diluted to include so many different things. There are many people that are Christians and paganists, Christians and Buddhists, Christians and this and that. If you're a Christian, you are a Christian 100%. I prefer the term Christ follower. I am a follower of Jesus. I'm not a follower of Jesus and then go this way and follow somebody else or something else. I am a follower of Jesus. Are you with me? Yes. You understand that, that we are Christians, but we are special Christians. We're the Christ followers. And if we're Christ followers, we as followers, as servants of Jesus, Matthew 10, 24 tells us this, the servant is not better than his master. That is, whatever the master's will is, that is the will of the servant. We are Christ followers. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you, what? A fisher of men. You will not just find those fish, you'll catch those fish. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew sixteen twenty four, if anyone would come after me, That is, listen now, if anyone would be a Christ follower, come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Those are two very, very difficult things. You know as well as I do that we do not live in a culture that values self-denial. Actually, we live in a culture that values excesses. We want this, we want that. We want what somebody else has. We want something somebody else doesn't have that we can boast of it. We want all that we can get and all that we can claim. That's what we want in this world. To introduce to people that to be a Christ follower, we must embrace all the little things that are part of hunger and thirst. That means we will commit to denying ourselves. Jesus said, that's what Christ's followers do. They deny, just like Jesus did, denied himself. He denied himself. He left heaven, came into this earth, suffered the injustices, died the horrible death he did, descended into hell, battled with Satan and his ambassadors as well. And he emerged holding the keys of captivity in his own hands. He denied himself. Not just denying yourself, but but it's doing something very positive. It's Take up your cross, he said, and follow me. Now, the cross was not an an ornament. It was not a decoration. It was not something you hang around your neck. You know, we look on TV and we see actors that are, we see characters on TV that are profane. I mean, profane, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, say filthy things and do dirty things, and you see them on interviews with big crosses around their neck. That means nothing, that's jewelry. Jesus wasn't talking about jewelry when he said, take up your cross and follow me. He was predicting, he was speaking of his own death. Understand that. He was heading to the cross. He had offended everyone he could offend with the message of the kingdom of God and knew crucifixion was right around the corner. And he said, this is where I'm going. You wanna follow me? Deny yourself, take up your cross and come fulfill the death sentence with me. Boy, that makes people uncomfortable. So you mean being a Christian means I've got, to, I've got to sacrifice, I've got to deny myself, I've got to carry a cross, I may be persecuted. That's exactly what it means because that's what happens when you're committed to the values of a, of a kingdom that's at war. Its mission is so powerful that to fulfill it, you have to prepare to give up everything even to die. That's reality one we're at war. Secondly, in their hunger and thirst, we're struggling with clashing plans. God's plan and our carnal human plan. We're only people. We're only humans touched by sin. God created it. You know it, the perfect environment the book of of Genesis. We read about Garden of Eden, how wonderful it was. Sin came in. When sin came in, it touched humankind. The garden's no longer our environment. It's not perfect anymore. Something it tainted our spirit. It tainted our will. It challenged us to decide what kingdom will we follow. In the book of Genesis chapter 12, to me it explicitly, God speaks to Abram and it explicitly outlines what his plan is for humankind uh, especially for what those of us who are called Christ followers today. God's plan to Abram, he says, now here's the deal. Abram, I want you to trust me. Leave your father's home with all the security. Leave the land, leave the language, leave all the wealth, leave all your possessions behind, whatever's there, leave everything that you're accustomed to, all your culture. Where do I go, Lord? I'll show you where to go. You just leave and you follow me. And that was it. God didn't give him a map. Wouldn't it be easier if he did? Yeah. Wouldn't it be, you know, when God takes you into a wilderness or into a desert, those wilderness and deserts would be a lot easier if God said, now here's a map of the place and here, you're only going to be there for three days. And then you're going to come out and we'd say, okay, good. I can do that for three days. He doesn't tell us. He says, I'm going to lead you. Just follow me. So Abram go and he said, but here's the plan, Abram. If you do, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Out of you, I'm going to create a great nation. And all of us can applaud and say, wow, for us as Christians, God said he's going to make us into a great people. And we stop right there. But it doesn't stop there. Here's a caveat that's very important. It's a divine imperative that was given to Abram and it's good for us today. He said, I'm going to make you great so that through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's the plan. You you want God to bless you? Here's the plan. You commit to be a blessing, however God may use you in whatever environment, because God has not called you to just contain his blessings, you see. He wants you to bless others, that's God's plan. But it clashes with a human plan, carnal man, touched by the selfishness of sin, in our plan kind of goes like this. (coughs) Excuse me get all you can in this world can all you get and sit on the can and we said that's my can and everything in that can belongs to me and the goal is that i can end my life and have a can full so that other people can take my can and do what they want to with my can this is a message about the can we're getting carried away here That's the human way to think that the the earth is like a pie, the world is like a pie, and we've got to get our peace out of it. But you know God is a God of inexhaustible supply, do you know that? When it looks like everything is gone, the creator God who created it all in the beginning creates enough that we need to satisfy every need that we have and every desire he has for us. That's the nature of God. You see, our calling is not to be containers, but to be channels through which God flows his gospel message to all the people of the world. We can't afford to sit on the pew and just say, that's it. Come to church. Sit here. That's what it's all about. You can do that, but you're just a a pew warmer. That's all you are. We can get any people to come in here and warm a pew anytime. They don't even have to believe in Jesus. Don't be a pew warmer. You're a Christ follower. And he said, I'll bless you, but the plan is through you then the blessing will flow to all the people of the world. I love what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55 and 10. He says, God gives seed. How many know God gives seed? He does in abundance, but it says he gives seed to the sower, the one who freely and willingly sows the seed and scatters it abroad that others could share in the good fruit in due season. That's the one he gives more to and more to and more to because he trusts you. My mother used to have a saying, uh, she used to say, you know, when my ship comes in, I'm going to bless that ministry when my ship comes in. And I say, Mom, if you never send your ship out, it will never come back in. (laughs) Works that way. God says, I give seed. I trust the one who is sowing. I will always give him more seed. That's the way God works. Now, Oscar was a... German munitions factory owner in World War II and he dared to defend humi- humanity by using his position to save the lives of Jewish people. He employed them in his factory and thus hid them from Germans in persecution. Doing so, Oscar rescued many, many Jews from the just, just hundreds and hundreds from gas chambers and little by little to keep that facade in front of the German, the Nazis, to keep it uh, safe and protect its purpose. He had to sell off his goods. He sold off property and investments and whatever, just to keep the factory open so he could employ Jews and undercover, (coughs) excuse me, save their life. Well, when the Nazis were defeated and the dead were numbered into the millions and the living were staggering out to freedom when the camps were open, only then, was the magnitude of Schindler's, Oscar Schindler's effort fully revealed. You may know the Academy Award-winning movie, thank you so much, the Academy Award-winning movie of a few years back, Schindler's List. Anybody ever see that? Powerful. It depicts Oscar, oh, it's just water. (laughs) It depicts Oscar kneeling by the railroad tracks that carried thousands and thousands of people to their deaths in gas chambers. Overwhelmed with regret, Schindler laments over the few remaining possessions. My car, my watch, my rings, I could have sold them. A soul here saved, 10 saved here. People rescued, he lives with regrets. See, he did not know when the war would end, who did but if he had known, he'd have done even more in the immediacy of the war. Schindler was a hero who saved more lives during World War II than any other single person, but as much as he did, he was tortured by what he did not do. Wishing he had done more, he lived his life plagued by regret. Christians, you've done well. Many of you have exceeded the expectations that folks might have had for you, but we're not done yet. You know, there are over 2 billion people in the world who have never heard a full gospel message. They may have heard a little of this and a piece of that, but never have had a chance to hear the whole story and say yes or no. Do you know Assembly of God World Missions, one of the best missions programs in the world, is ministering today in 300 unreached people groups. People that have never been reached before, but we've invaded it in various ways and are reaching people with the gospel message. And we could perhaps think to applaud that and say, isn't that wonderful? We're in 300 unreached people groups, reaching those people, introducing them to Jesus. But here's the reality. There yet remain 9,000 people groups in the world that have not had a full and complete witness of who Jesus is. 9,000. And the thing is, are we going to follow our plan or are we going to follow God's plan to reach all the lost? Now, here's number three, reality. We need to focus on missional goals, every one of us. We need to understand we have to, if we don't have goals, we're, we have no way to benchmark what we're doing. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, now, I have, uh, I have been crucified with Jesus. That's what Jesus said, follow me and uh, take up your cross. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. He is fulfilling in there a goal in his life that is a good aspiration for us and that's goal number one, don't hold back anything. He doesn't say, you know, I've been crucified with Christ so I can't afford a bigger home. I've been crucified with Christ. I can't afford a luxurious car. No, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ alone lives within me. Do you know missionaries in a generation past, it's kind of different today, because they pack their goods when they go overseas in gigantic containers that are taken by boat or, or taken by air transport, big containers. But in the old days, they packed them in barrels and jars and whatever they could. But missionaries of old often packed, among their goods, they packed all their daily needs in their own coffins. So if it was mom and dad and two kids going off to Africa, they had four coffins. And the reason they did that is because they they saw this mission as they were gonna do the best they can, but they were prepared to die on that field of calling. And that their missionary duty was a one-way trip to fulfill the will of God. They were focused on missional goals, one being we will not hold back anything. We have been crucified and so we no longer live. Only Christ lives in us. My dad was a was a flight engineer on a B-57, B-17, excuse me, flying fortress during World War II. He flew 31 missions. Those were the major uh, campaigns, bombing campaigns in World War II in Africa and Europe, and. Um, That that aircraft bomber was a daylight. It flew by daylight, and it it couldn't have the protection of fighter planes to protect it from enemy because no plane could really fly as far as the bombers were equipped to fly, and so they flew without cover, without protection, and uh, the crewmen were cross-trained so that if one was shot within the plane in a in a fight, another one could step in. My dad was a turret gunner up on top of the plane, looking for enemy that would fly in and try to destroy the gunner. And the average casualty rate for those uh, B-17 Flying Fortress crews was 50%. When they got into that plane, they knew there was a 50% chance they weren't going to come back. And in some of the major campaigns in World War II, the casualty rate was 86%. Those guys that got into that plane, I think my dad was 20 years old when he enlisted and, uh, and, and when, he, when he jumped into that plane as an engineer and a turret gunner. Willing to fight to win and willing to die to win the mission. That for us folks is a goal when it comes to our Christian faith and the calling of God to say if we're hungering after anything, let me be hungry to, to not hold anything back, but to pursue with all my heart and all my effort, everything God wants to accomplish, nothing else and nothing less. There's a second goal that at least we have to review today and that's to spend your life without regrets, to come to the end of your life and and look back and not say, boy, I wished I would have. If I had more time, I would have. I, I, I never did get to, you know, not silly things, you know, how many have been to Hawaii? Don't embarrass yourself, raise your hand. You already, you already did it. Hawaii, is a, what, a, what a great place. Back in 2000, well, just a few years ago when the gigantic hurricanes came through and just destroyed so much of our Jersey shore, they're still rebuilding there. And uh, Marianne and I had an all expense paid trip to a conference in Hawaii at a first-class first, first class hotel with first-class air, for, you know, oh, that first-class airfare is really nice. I love that. I'm going to miss some of that. Don't do it often, but but all the way there and back, first-class air, first-class hotel, all the finest restaurants, all paid for. It was going to be a one week for the retreat and a second week with, uh, with friends in a timeshare. It, it was just great. All paid two weeks and Hurricane Sandy hit. Superstorm Sandy hit. And the devastation in New Jersey was so great that I, I came home mumbling to Marion one day. I said, I want to talk to you about something. She wanted to talk to me about something too. I said, you know that trip to Hawaii? Yeah, it's all paid for, it's first class, everything, two weeks, we need a vacation, we haven't been away in a long time. You know, it's, it's our time. I said, I, I just feel uncomfortable that we ought not to go. And she said, that's what I wanted to talk to you about too. I was thinking about it. How could we leave when our churches and pastors are suffering? How could we leave and take a vacation in Hawaii? I think you need to be here and be attentive to the pastors and the churches here, and we did. Now listen, here's the story. When I get to heaven, (laughs) see where I'm going? When I cross over, into a place that I hath not seen nor ear heard of, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. When I see streets of gold and gates of pearl, and when I see stones of colors that I never imagined and is not in our vocabulary to describe, I am not going to say, But Lord, I'd like to have seen Hawaii. You get it? See, those are. The little things that we give up when we pursue and we follow God. But there was a man that was in a church I pastored for a number of years, and he was a nice man. I tried to help him in a lot of ways. I took him out to breakfast often and tried to introduce him to people that could enrich his life. He did not give to missions. He was one of those guys that thought tithe was... uh, meant $10 instead of 10%. So it was a $10 donation and it's all he ever gave. And uh, didn't support anything at all, but he was a millionaire. He wasn't a millionaire because he earned it or because he was a genius. He was a a millionaire because he had rich family members that died and they didn't have anyone else so they left it to him. And he was overnight, he was a millionaire. His wife used to say, he doesn't know how to fill out a withdrawal slip. That he knows how to deposit money, but he doesn't know how to get it out. And so his long life that he lived, I went to visit him. I was superintendent. This was a few years ago. Uh, And I went to visit him for one last time. I heard he was ill. And I drove down to his his house, and I met with him and was there about an hour, and we had a chat about this, that, and whatever. And his son was a great friend of mine and a deacon in the church, a great helper. And uh, I said, John, this is the last time I'm here. I probably will never see you again. And uh, I'm hoping to see you in heaven. How can I pray for you? And is there anything you want to say to me? He looked down at the slippers on his feet and he looked up, kind of had an embarrassed look on his face. And this is what he said. He said, I, I wish I had been a giver. I regret with all that I have that I never gave. I didn't help the church. I didn't help the missionaries. I didn't help other people. And, and now, soon I'm going to die, and all that I have will go to my son, who is an alcoholic, and he will squander everything on booze and women and foolish things. I regret I was never a giver. To me, that kind of regret is absolutely intolerable. And I would challenge you, you're not a millionaire perhaps, you don't have a lot of resources, you just maybe uh, just go through life and are happy with what God's given you and you're trying to be a good steward. Determine this with your life. that Focus on this missional goal. You're going to live your life with no threat that you're going to end it in regrets. That's point three. And the last point. Reality number four that we need to keep in front of us. There will always, every single day of our life, be tremendous opposition to our Christian faith and to the mission that God has called, for, called us to for His divine purpose. Always. There'll never be a day the devil will give you a good day. He'll never look down and, and say at you and say, You know what, that guy's had a tough time. I'll leave him alone for a while. If you're down, he's going to knock you farther down. If you're up, he's, his goal is to knock you all the way down. His goal is not to bless you. And you may think that he prospers you and he's got the world has so much to offer, but it really doesn't. And if you think that Jesus himself didn't face such tremendous opposition, wow, he was Jesus. He was God, fully God, fully man, hard for us to understand. And we think if you're fully God, you could have just blown away all of the opposition. Speak the word and they're all gone and they're all away. And he did some terrific miracles, but he didn't get get rid of all the opposition. And one day in Luke chapter 13 tells the story, a delegation of Pharisees came to him. He had just healed people and delivered them from demons and he preached great messages about the kingdom of God that was and the one that was coming. It was powerful teaching. And this delegation came to him and they have a message. They said, Herod says, stop what you're doing and get out of town. That was the message. Read it in, in, in Luke 13. And Jesus had an answer for that. Jesus had an answer for that. He didn't, he didn't quiver. It doesn't say he thought about it. He deliberated. He meditated or he fasted and prayed. Right from his lips come these words. You go tell that fox. Right. Talking about Herod. You go tell that fox. I'm going to heal the sick and open the blind eyes and relieve those from demon possession. I'm going to do my work until my, wish, my mission is accomplished and I'm not stopping until I've finished it. Go tell that fox. He didn't say, go tell that French poodle, yeah. you know? That's a cute French poodle. We used to have one. He didn't say, go tell whatever your dog's like. You may have the ugliest mutt in the world and you love that thing. He didn't say, go tell that little pet. You know, it wasn't a polite term. It was an insult intended to be an insult. Go tell that fox. Let's put it in other words. Go tell that, if you know anything about fox, go tell that mouse eater that eater, that rat eater, that digger in the dirt, go tell him. I don't care where he sits, on what throne, how he's adored by other people. If he's opposed to the mission that God has given me, he's nothing more than a dirty fox. Go tell him, I'm on mission and I will not be distracted. He insulted the enemy, and that's, I think, what we need to be brave enough to do, to say, Satan, you cannot stop me from the appointed mission and purpose that God has given me. Doing so, that statement took away his safety, his security, and paved the road for him to go all the way to Calvary, created enemies that sought to kill him harder than ever before, But he was undeterred, and why? Because his mission was directly connected to his hunger and his thirst to please his father who sent him and whose will had to be accomplished. Now, I don't know that there's a big fox in your life, but I'll tell you what. Solomon said it's the little foxes that you have to worry about. It's the little ones that can get in the way of the mission that God calls us to. Little ones like jealousy and bitterness and fear and broken relationships and the lack of forgiveness and a love for stuff that's going to pass away. Self-indulgence and a lack of forgiveness of people that have hurt you or offended you or even neglecting the time of devotions where you will seek the will of God and Ask him for direction and guidance. Maybe a lack of appreciation for the blessings God given you all together in your life. Count your blessings is what we used to sing. Name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done. And maybe a lack of appreciation can slip in there. It's one of those little foxes that can spoil the vineyard. See, Jesus' mission is a big mission. Can't do it on our own. It's, it's, it's directly related to our understanding that God has a purpose that's divine. He has a will for you. He has a will for me. Whether you're the newest person in Christianity or you're not quite a Christian or you've been here, you're the rock of ages. It doesn't matter. There is a divine purpose for you yet to discover. And you won't complete it by your own strength, it'll be by supernatural power. And my encouragement is focus on the goal of the mission, hunger and thirst for the mission God has given you to do. You're very kind and I'll conclude with two huge questions That are for all of us to answer. Uh, You may have answered it already. I'm not going to uh, presuppose that you have not thought of it, but here are two questions that in, in my mind are very valid. They're powerful ones that I have to ask myself. First of all, are we hungering for Christ or are we holding back something? Are we really hungering and thirst, not just knowing about Jesus, not just having a friendly relationship with him, not just comfortable that our sins are forgiven and we're on our way to him that's not enough are we hungering for christ and his mission or are we holding anything back the apostle paul when when paul says something like this statement that i'm going to read to you when he says something like this we better listen for all he was apostle preacher teacher pastor missionary evangelist and he says This one thing I do, the one thing. What's the one thing? A guy that great, a guy that smart, a guy brilliant, uh, could argue, a rabbi. He was the all in all. And when that guy says, if I could do it all over again, this one thing I would do, you better listen. And what's the one thing? And he says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I will press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. It's not what's behind me, it's what's ahead of me and I will pursue it. He was hungry to pursue and fulfill the will of God. Are we hungry for the will of God? Oh, we all are hungry for the blessing. Bless me God, heal me God, touch me God, guide me God, provide for me God, do it for me God, show everybody how much you love me God but are we hungry for the mission that God's placed us on? And then secondly, are we at are we threat in any way to live our life that when we come to the end of it, we have regret? I wished I would've, like my friend, I wished I'd have been generous, I wished I'd have given. And with that comes a, a challenge as we get ready to leave, close the service this morning, could it possibly be for me, you know, I, I appreciate what you said about Valley Forge and my role at Valley Forge and Teen Challenge and whatever. That's really nice. When I think of the things that I, God's allowed me to do, Chris, that, that, that's really wonderful. But I, like the rest of us, have to say, but will I, is it possible I could end saying there was something else he asked me to do and I didn't do it? Will I be obedient? and finish well doing whatever he asked me to do and, and I'll ask you maybe is there one more thing you say well I've I've been a big giver I've been a big doer I've been a, a, I've loved people I've, I'm regular in church attendance on and on it's not about that is there one more thing I could say is there three things seven things now is it just let's make it simple Today, could God speak to any one of us and say, and to all of us and say, here's one more thing I want you to do. You're gonna start on it right away and I'm gonna empower you to do it. And as part of my mission for you and your divine purpose for being here in this world today, there's one thing, maybe a hard thing, but it's one thing, you can do it. Because Paul said, I can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengthens me. David Rabin, you probably don't know that name, was a professor of medicine at Vanderbilt University. And at the age of 46, he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, a horrible disease. And first came the stiffness of his muscles and then came total weakness, followed by paralysis. Eventually his body would obey no command that his mind would give it. Speech was difficult and then it became impossible he could not treat patients or his work at the hospital couldn't be completed in any way by him he once this man this very smart brilliant man had a marvelous academic career he was a teacher and now he couldn't even turn the pages of his book There was only one thing that he wouldn't surrender he gave up his body he gave up the use of it he gave up just about everything that was valuable to him that he trained his whole life but there's one thing he wouldn't give up and that was his sense of destiny, his commitment that there was a plan for his life that still fully incapacitated, he could accomplish that plan. And one day he heard about a special computer that had been created, and that computer could be operated by a single switch that would move the mouse on the screen, a single switch, and that a person, no matter how handicapped or physically challenged, if they had the function of one muscle group, could use that computer. He researched it, they got him the computer, and Dr. Rabin had enough strength in but one part of his body. Can you guess what that part of the body was? For some of you here in the early service and you know, that's why. uh, it wasn't a finger, it wasn't a toe, it wasn't a nose, it wasn't his mouth, it wasn't a tube that he would blow in. He had no control over those things. The only part of his body that he could control was a single eyebrow, one eyebrow. Use your eyebrow right now, try it. Look at your neighbor and say, you look weird trying that. <laughs> so that's all he had was one eyebrow. Well, listen to the story. For the next four years, he used that computer, moved that mouse, to communicate. He spoke to his family through that computer. He told jokes through that computer. He wrote papers and reviewed manuscripts with one eyebrow. He published a textbook on endocrinology. He achieved a prestigious award for that work. and It's still a classroom favorite, by the way, in the medical field. All of this he did with the only thing that he could control, the one thing he would not give up, driven by his spirit for his divine purpose. With a single eyebrow, David Rabin proved that with a spirit that refused to give up and believed it was on mission, he could serve God and serve humanity one more time, you see. Well, we may have done well, folks. God's been good to us, but let's not forget we are soldiers in a war onward christian soldiers marching as to war the mission is for you it's for me it's for everyone and all of us and believe it or not it's a sacred trust that god says i give to evangel church and every member it belongs to you and i'm trusting you and it's not an option to fail and today we might commit we're going to send a message to that old fox we're going to say fox I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do and what God's prepared me to do and God will equip me to do and empower me to do. I am an onward-moving Christian, a soldier of the cross. Jesus is before me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm not turning back, not ever, not now, not in the future. I am a soldier of the cross of Jesus. And is there one more thing that I can do for Jesus that I've not done before? I'm saying today, Jesus, speak to me what that one thing is, and I will give it for you because we are at war We have clashing plans, but we conquer them by the spirit of God. We will focus on missional goals, living with no regret, always knowing we face opposition. But through Jesus Christ, we fulfill the plan that God says, I have for you nothing else, nothing less. No other options but success because in Christ Jesus, we all succeed. I am hungry and thirsty for the mission of God. Would you join me? Amen, and amen,
0: amen, amen. 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 what a amen. word, would you stand, stand at your, your feet, feet, feet with me right now, and would you just bow your heads as I just close this in a word of prayer, the first and most important thing, and this is a very different day, God has just been doing something different and special, and uh, don't think for a moment these extra moments uh, aren't precious, God had a word for you, but for someone in the room today, The first step for you to take this to heart would be for you to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, for you to invite Jesus to come and forgive you of your sins and commit to be a follower of Jesus, all in. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that is you and today's the day, you say, Pastor, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I've not done that yet, and I'm ready to commit to that. And I wanna invite him to come into my life. I want you to lift your hand above your head right now so I could pray with you. If that's you, wherever you are in the room, I see your hand up. Is there anyone else? If you're in the balcony, if that's you, we're gonna pray with you. If that's you, lift your hand up right now. Amen, amen. Right now as you're there, I can't see everyone if you're watching online, but pray with me these prayer, these words from the bottom of your heart. Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. And today I will follow you all the days of my life, not looking back, not turning back. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we celebrate with those who made that decision today? And listen, the fox is on the prowl. He's gonna come and want to attack you. There's a very real battle. We wanna help you and we wanna connect with you, we wanna celebrate with you. So on the screen, as you're getting ready to leave, if you made that decision, you're gonna see an opportunity to let us know that you made a decision to follow Jesus. You could text message this number that's right here on the screen, um, and just text the word Jesus. I think we have it, can we throw that up? Text the word Jesus if you made a decision to follow Jesus. And we want to give you some resources and help you take some first steps there. So please text message that number before you leave today. Let us know. God bless you. Make sure you're here Tuesday night for our prayer night. Next week for Vision Sunday. God bless. What a great time together in God's presence. Amen. Let's praise God together as we're getting ready to leave. All right. God bless you. And we'll see you next week and on Tuesday.